die, 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 everybody die. Geek Shock. Geek Shock. have blood on the highways. <laughs> wait, wait, you had blood on the highways? Yep. Blood on the highways. I remember getting really excited in Driver's Ed uh-huh. when they started bringing out those <laughs> those, I, those, those old, are they PSAs? They're scary yeah. documentary. Yes. I, I don't know what to call them. Scary-umentary. But, uh, but, it, but the one they gave us, one, wasn't that graphic. Two, it definitely wasn't blood on the highway or Streets of Doom or whatever they're called. Was it they're Red called. Asphalt? I don't... It mu- <laughs> Streets of Doom. <laughs> Maybe. I want to play that game. All I remember, as, as as a horror fan, I was deeply disappointed. Oh. Yeah, I, really. I just remember the, the, the video was... It was originally a film that they had transferred to video, so it was already not the best quality anyway. <laughs> but uh, uh, this is 1990 where I'm taking Driver's Ed. And the stupid video was like copyright 1963 or 64. <laughs> so it was very 60s style. And like nothing looked the same. Like all the cars that they were showing right, yeah. the, the students behind the wheel, nothing was like what we were driving. It was it was just cracking me up. But I just remember this. They had this stupid slide in um, video. It was like blood splatters in and then the, this stupid on the highway <laughs> slides in on the, underneath it. It was just so ridiculous. American International. Oh, yes. <laughs> Samuel Z. Harkoff. And our instructor is like, he's like, all right, I know this is going to be kind of silly on today's, you know, considering today's standards, but you guys have to watch this. I have to show it to you. So no laughing. Seriously, no laughing. You know and, what? I think we got the same thing. I think we got that same warning. And I, and I still was like... <laughs> When I, just when I just when I saw the title, it was like I'm done. I'm so done. Blood on the highway. We, weirdly enough, the the same the classroom that was used for Driver's Ed uh, was one of those big screen in the front and almost like a little movie theater kind yep. of thing. For some reason, my English class also had that same one. Mm-hmm. So my brain has melded the two. So. <laughs> Somehow, I believe that I've seen an occurrence on Alk Creek Bridge and Driver's Ed. So, <laughs> did you have the weird driving simulator too? Where no. it's like, okay, so we had this driving simulator. It was like a little portable uh, schoolroom with a big screen in the front, and then literally just a seat with a steering wheel, um, the gear column, and the uh, the the signal and. You are supposed to time all your maneuvers what? with the movie. You had a video game? We didn't have it a budget, It wasn't a Jeff. video game. I'm, <laughs> I'm seriously saying it was it was a 16-millimeter projected image on a screen. And you had to time your turns yes. to what was happening And you were on graded screen. on it. Like, nobody, nobody got above 70% because this thing, <laughs> well, was, this thing was ancient. It was from the before. 70s. <laughs> huh? I said, unless you'd seen it before, how would you know when to yeah, turn? Yeah, exactly. Oh, That's God where I was say. just like, That's the whatever. way life is, Biggs. <laughs> you turn after you turn? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Blood on the highway. Blood on the highway. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 550. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Professor Biggs. Yay. See, we do have a special event with the 50th episode of 500. I'm yeah, now calling it the 50th episode of 500. That's yeah, we, we find people to replace you, Andy. <laughs> 
See? Placeholder filled. There you go. Place <laughs> held. Did you see he actually posted that on Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I, I, saw, I saw multiple posts. <laughs> the, the latest was goddamn placeholder. <laughs> in, in all caps. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting the feeling that every time we said placeholder, he... Pause the podcast and go to Facebook. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, the, the, the one play. that really got me, though, was somebody responded and said, well, Maple Leaf is place Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, spot on. Done. Spot the award on. goes to you. <laughs> uh, one of the monkeys put on the layer to look into, uh, uh, what was it, Amazon Music and Audible with their, their podcast Yes. Thing that they're doing now. Uh, I want to say that we did look into it. Uh, right now, we have decided not to do it. Uh, one of the agreements in going in with them is that you are not allowed to say anything disparaging about Amazon or any of its affiliates. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> being a news podcast, uh, we can't, in good conscience, be a part of that. No. So, uh, we appreciate you bringing that to our attention. I did look into it immediately. In fact, Podbean had it all there ready to go. All I had to do was click a few buttons and it'd be done. But uh, we just can't agree to those terms at all. I mean, we try to maintain at least some journalistic integrity. Right. We have I mean, opinions. We Yeah. I mean, well, we don't have a lot of integrity, but we do. <laughs> but we have yeah. a lot of opinions. <laughs> I, uh, my take on it would be we could do it. We just wouldn't last long because we would be in violation very quick. Yes. And, so, and once you're in violation, then you're ostracized forever. So. Yeah, yeah so. I mean, it's when you're, you're when you're reviewing or talking about companies, you really need to have a free exchange of information because if you and opinions, because if you don't. You're not reviewing something. You're essentially taking their press release and just repeating it. So, um, you know, a lot of lot of reviewers these days do that. They just, you know, <laughs> they read from the press release. They try not to disparage, you know, said movie, right. TV show, video game, sure. because nowadays companies are cutting them out of being, cutting them out of their ability to, yeah. you know, make their living doing reviews. So. That's that's why we're not going to do it. We are available at plenty of places. All the big ones except Amazon, and I think we'll be all right without that. Yeah. And didn't you say that uh, you can request us on Alexa very easily? Yes, because anyway? we are a part of Tuned In, which doesn't have that sort of thing <laughs> yeah. yet, at least. So as long as they don't change those terms of service, yeah, you can request us on Alexa. We're on Tuned In, which yeah. is Amazon. Right. So we're kind of there. Uh, so that's where we're at with that. But again, you can find us where you've always found us. And of course, we've added Spotify lately and tuned yep. in lately. And, and there's always new ones out there. And, and frankly, we're getting part of them. And we're always easy to download and take with you so you don't have to stream it. Yeah. If you don't want to. Yeah. So, gentlemen, what geeky things you do this week? Well, I, I had this big nerd come over. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which one? Oh, oh, this <laughs> one. Okay. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say there's four of us in the room right <laughs> now, so you'll have to be more specific. Well, the biggest. Oh. Yeah. I say Vernon. You can see him every week. Yeah. Vernon the, was here. Vernon, Vernon you, was here. Did you mean to say the biggest? Har, <laughs> um, har. I liked it, actually. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. I was, Encourage I was, him, why don't I you? I was waiting for the audience to groan. No, they did. Uh, That's oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Placeholder yeah, groan. I can find that on my side. Oh god. <laughs> um yeah, I was like, "Come on up. Hang out for a while." And he was like, "Sure." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm here for 
two days, I'm like, oh, for God's sakes. Did you say, stay a while, stay forever? No. No? (laughs) All seven of you Commodore 64 and Apple II owners (laughs) got that. Um... But, uh, the right people will get it. You were the first one to point that Joel Hodgson quote to me. You're right. You're right. Uh, the uh, he brought uh, his Colshack uh, Night Stalker oh, collection, mm. so we've we've already started. How many episodes is that altogether? Uh, it's the two TV movies, okay. and then it was it was a very short first season, 20, 20 episodes. Okay, I think. So how far have you gotten? Oh, we ju- we just watched the first movie. Oh, okay. So you've just begun. Because yeah, Vernon came over last night, and you know, uh, Vernon likes old stuff. So when we <laughs> showed him Cole Shack, the Night Stalker, he you was like, Vernon. "Grumble, grumble, grumble," <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. I mean, Vernon only likes old stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, not even old stuff. But we did we did get him to watch uh, Altered States. Yes, we oh, did. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And I wow. hadn't seen that. I'm kind of surprised he hadn't seen that. Yeah, no. Wow. Yeah. Got to relive my Blair Brown. Oh, oh. oh yeah. Blair, Blair Brown. Mm, yummy. Biggs is like, mm, send, my send up chamber. But um, <laughs> it would, yeah, that was funny too because uh, he gave a he gave a vintage Vernon review afterward. He's like, well, I've seen it. <laughs> Scratched off my list. There so, you go. I forgot. It was really funny because I told the guys uh, the only time I saw it was when I was living in Kuwait. Oh, and Kuwait, oh really? Kuwait uh, is an altered state. Film censorship is, um, of uh, yeah, it's 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 <laughs> it's very f- uh, fail video editing style. It's just, <laughs> it's just hard cuts. Yes, yep. just Jim. And I mean, it's not even like they would say, "Well, these elements don't work, so we'll cut out the scene." No, they'll cut out those elements, so you'll literally get this. <laughs> Of images, which Jeez. is hilarious, because in a Ken Russell movie, that oh. almost makes sense, right? Yeah. But you're still, you're still just like it. And so it was really funny. I watched the movie in its entirety for the first time last night, which was hilarious. Fantastic. I still haven't seen it. So, oh, uh, it. You know what? It, it actually holds up pretty well. Nice. I mean, I, you be the judge, but I, I, I was like, oh, okay, it holds. I, up. I love, I love the movie if nothing more than because it's a Patty Chayefsky script and there's a shitball lot of great actor talking dialogue going on that I really enjoy. And uh, Charles Hayde is in it. Uh, he's a, uh, he would be a, a cop you would recognize from Hill Street Blues. And he is, he is fantastic as an overwrought uh, character Bob Baladan, who's uh, Doctor Chandra in 2010. He's a face that any genre film watcher from he's, the 80s and 70s would he's recognize. Also, the cartographer in Close Encounters. Yeah, ah, and yes. uh, he he is um, he's he's wonderful. Blair Brown is wonderful, and William Hurt is debuting. Uh, you know, the character actor trapped in a leading man's body. <laughs> and uh, he does he does a great job. The, the, the movie is just, it's fun. It's trippy and weird. <laughs> yeah, Although it's... it is not Ken Russell at his Ken Russellist. I, I'd but, say that the title of it sort of set, speaks volumes. Well, you, yeah, it, it, it should. <laughs> but but I think it's really interesting because I think, I think Ken Russell knows his own reputation. So most of the movie is really pretty down to earth and realistic, yes. which 
which when you get to the trippy stuff makes the trippy stuff even trippier as opposed to i think the mistake some people make is like oh we got a really trippy script so i guess the whole movie will be trippy it's like why would you do that? You yeah. got to set up your baseline yeah. reality first, and then flip people. Is, then you get monkey's head. It is <laughs> yeah. ridiculously late seventies grounded realism <laughs> until all that psychedelia starts. Uh, it and and that actually makes for a pretty cool contrast. Yeah. So I actually like that. What else you do, guys? I tell you what. Since we're on that, uh, I finally saw the uh, the movie I've seen angle. To Vernon, uh, I saw a movie oh. this week that I, I've oh. never seen that's been on the list and have been pestered to do for Uh-oh. a good while. I have watched Enemy Mine. Oh, oh. what do you think? It's a really good movie. <laughs> it's it's re- it's really I was really impressed. I was also very disappointed in one aspect of it, uh, but I guess in a good way. I, I I never knew that this was the movie that. Uh, uh, I think Wolfgang Peterson was the director mm-hmm. that he directed after Never Ending Story. Oh yeah, and, and after seeing it, I'm like, yeah, I can see this is from the same director. It's <laughs> it's 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 surprisingly violent. Not, oh yeah, not gory, but violent. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, it's impressive how they avoided that. Frankly, yeah. Uh, but but as a kid, I was never interested in it. it it's just never. It's like I can see what this is. This is a movie about a human and an alien that learn to get along. And yeah, yeah. it is. The story is told uh, grander than that. Yeah. I would love to see a remake of this movie. The whole uh, Zami's aspect of it, having to raise the child and, and, and fall in love with what was once your, your enemy's child becomes your own. Uh-huh. Yeah. What I was disappointed with was the fact that in watching this movie, I was like, I want to see how the Drac respond to a human bringing a young Drac before a council attempting to. And that part just gets skipped over at the end. At, yep. the, at the end, it's like the narrator comes in and I can't even remember, and I can't remember the astronaut's name, uh, David Eek or something like that. Dennis Quaid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Dennis Quaid brought zombies to before the council and, and spoke before them and, and gave the whole lineage. And later on, zombies added his name on his lineage. And I'm like, great, that's the story I want to watch. Please, yeah, yeah. please show me that. Right, right, yeah, that's so, a good point. So when I was watching, I'm like, you know what? This is kind of the series I want to see. Like, I want to see Enemy Mind the series. Oh, bring it back like a like a limited HBO series kind of thing. Sure, I'll, okay. I'll take it as a mini series too. But I I want I don't want that first part of the story extended. I, I think that's as long as it needs to be. It's pretty long. Okay, Th- that's that's plenty. But I want to see the reconciliation of these two races at war. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And and maybe that that relationship of the human bringing up the alien the human bringing up the alien child is like the first spark of that and then they'll have to go that's that's where i would go is your your first i actually wouldn't have a problem laying out the conflict in the first season they don't even get together like in the first episode right so you have the conflict you have them on the separate sides you establish your animosity and antagonism through the season they fight somewhere midway they end up on the planet spoilers and (laughs) then they go through that and I would say somewhere at the end of the season dies 
raise and starts and is responsible for the child. You're right. Second season, raising the child, getting the child older, teaching the lineage, doing all that. Third season, uh, second season ends with them being discovered and found. And then third season is embarking on the journey of getting the kid back. And then how it that could not have been easy on both sides. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And 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 there you go because you spend that whole season trying to make that happen, and that lays your foundation possibly for peace. And then succeeding, successive seasons can be maintaining the peace. You know, struggling to keep these groups from going to war again. You could you could you could run for you could do a bit. Yeah. But yeah. This that's it's a show with legs. Yeah. I, I, it got me wondering, is there a science fiction TV show, because Lord knows I've missed plenty, out what? there that the humans start as the good guys and by later seasons are revealed as the bad guys? There's a little of that in Battle, uh, Babylon 5. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Just um, a little, though. Yeah, but I'm and I'm only through like a few episodes into the second season. Okay, but so I, I need to go. Yeah, but I know that from what people have said, it's like, well, the humans don't always do. And I was like, okay, really. Yeah. Depending on how it will go, Old Man's War, you know, Scalzi does a nice job of actually presenting, because it's not just the humans and the aliens, there's the humans and the colonies, and everybody's got their tensions going around. And that they're, they're, everybody's got factions that want to keep war going and want to stop war and all that stuff. So there's a whole bunch of different... Uh, Biff Bamboo going on, and uh, uh, not a series, but I guess an argument may be made for Ender's Game. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Hmm. I know so, Robert Silverberg has done a few. Yeah, I can definitely see this like happening in, in in novels everywhere yeah, because yeah, this, yeah. this 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 I know this is not a a new concept. This has been around for ages. Yeah. Well, yeah, I always thought that that the sequel to Aliens. Should have been a movie where Earth finds the alien home planet and decides to wipe them out. Nuke it from orbit. Yeah, so that therefore we become the alien invaders kind of thing. And, oh, and we except actually, except the, the alien home planet idea was completely tossed out with the, the prequels. They wouldn't have existed it by the well, by aliens. You, you, know, you know how Hollywood works now, Jeff. Yeah. You can you can erase that with a movie. That's yeah. true. That was a legend. Yeah. <laughs> There's a legend of an alien homeworld. Yeah, you, you can Terminator that right out. Yeah. That would you, you can true. Halloween the hell out of that. Anyway, I, I think that I mean that basic premise though, I think it still work as a movie though, that that we set up that there had been these incursions and then we discover what the homeworld of the thing was. I mean, even from the introduction of the movie, when the narrator starts in and talks about, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, the, the humans came in to a place that wasn't theirs, claimed it was theirs, and the people who actually owned it are like, fuck off, go home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's it starts with it right there. But boy, what a good job of setting up the conflict immediately. Yeah. That 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 movie does not wait. Yeah. I was going to say... And damn, Louis Gossett Jr. To an extent, in, <laughs> wow. the, in the movie version of Starship Troopers, the humans invaded the, the bug aliens' territory, even though yeah, they didn't know it, and then 
you know a fine point but of course in the grand tradition the humans have to win the war (laughs) but i'm trying to think of a tv series that gets you involved and on the side of the bad guys for a season or two before saying oh guess what you've actually been rooting for the shitheads the entire time actually you know what's really funny after uh after uh night stalker steve and i were talking and I was I was watching the the TV movie because it does a big job of talking about kind of like state power versus free press, and there is a lot of relevant to today's stuff. And this is pre Watergate, never mind uh, pre COVID. And I'm looking at that, and I'm like, wouldn't it be cool to actually have a TV series where you have a COVID militaristic unit? in the states that hunts down supernatural menaces and you run this season and it's by the end of the season that you realize the audience realizes they're actually rooting for immigrations and customs enforcement oh wow an analog <laughs> so your first like season that. is actually That's getting neat. established rooting for the heroes going after the bad guys and then you're like ooh this is what I'm rooting for. It's almost <laughs> like if Men in Black were revealed to eventually be. Yeah. Exactly. Sort of, you know, yeah, very, very. Because, you know, Men in Black does have a certain element to sure. it. But, but there's enough absurdity in that and stuff. Right. But this, this would. And one of the things Steve and I were talking about is try to avoid the X-Files tropes of the mysterious behind the scenes powers. Make everything right. up front. Make everything, all the different opposing factions and everybody, everything up front and right there. Because I think one of the statements you want to make about all the shit that's going on right now is it isn't as conspiratorial and hidden as you think it is. There is a hell of a lot of information about what is going on and who is competing with whom up front if you look for it. So avoid the conspiratorial secrecy stuff. No cigarette smoking man, you know. Yeah. We were just we were just you know toying with no that's I like it I like it a lot bullshitting around I like yeah because that's one of my I don't know if you saw but uh, <laughs> because I have peacock what <laughs> because I have peacock <laughs> <laughs> I'm finally able to watch uh, the Project Blue Book uh, that was oh, on the yeah. History Channel and I, it's just full of such X Files conspiracy bullshit and I'm just yeah. like I would really just love to see. A really good TV series made about the Project Blue Book investigations, and and it got me curious because uh, as a kid, I remembered this. There was this black and white, like a documentary style movie about UFOs that scared the crap out of me. So I looked to see if it if it was out there, and sure enough, it's on Anaheim. Uh, Anaheim. Oh wow. Is it? Is it? Are we an hour and a half into this thing? Yet? No, <laughs> just feels that way. Not even. It was like Amazon Prime, and it's actually called UFO. And what's interesting to me is, <laughs> is it came out in 1956. Okay. And and the comment I made that some friends laughed at was, and the actors would have to work hard to get to wooden, but the script <laughs> itself is actually pretty, pretty decent. It's terse, right? There's not a whole lot of you know floweriness about it, but it actually. You know, they try to flesh out one of the characters' family <laughs> life. They and you know present all these people as like real people, but it's just they're, they're saddled with people that just are not actors. <laughs> that is just I I I love the concept of of uh, bad actors. You know, kind of turning a a good script. It's just yeah. It's 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 very yeah. Uh, when it comes down to it, 
every single Alien Visitation TV show, uh, the non-scripted version, if you will, uh, the documentary-esque ones, they're all the same, right? Yeah. There, there's yeah. not one that's like, well, that's what we haven't what, seen before. Yeah, but that's what I liked about this one because it was, it apparently came out right at kind of a tipping point because they actually had the cooperation of the Air Force to do this particular movie. And the Air Force was presenting it as, we don't know what they are, but we do know they exist kind of thing. And, and like they actually did have interviews with some eyewitnesses. And then their big gimmick was that they actually showed the two famous, you know, real life UFO, first UFO movies and stuff at the end of the movie. And they ran it in slow motion. They zoomed in on some of the shots. They did this and this. And I was like, this movie is so fucking schizophrenic. I mean, from a 2020 point of view, because we're so used to the Air Force, ah, they don't exist. It's swamp gas. It's weather balloons. And they're like, no, they they exist. And, And, of course, the big thing, the incident that the whole thing is sort of surrounding is when the UFOs buzzed Washington, D.C. in 1952, and they actually did appear on... Uh, radar screens and they make a point in the movie with Air Force guys saying that's a temperature inversion that's a solid blip and as a kid I was like oh yeah oh yeah scare the crap out of me and especially because the way it's shot and and again the 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 dialogue is just very terse and as a kid I didn't know wooden acting from anything but it was just all (laughs) up light it's black and white the only the only lights coming from the radar screens and and it's all these short clips of of all these guys kind of giving side eye to each other as they're concentrating on the radar screens and then going (laughs) you know getting all the knowing looks to each other and i was like what's going on and so for like a week afterwards i'd be looking at my window at night oh yeah so it's it's interesting it's like an hour and a half and it's on amazon prime and it's called ufo 1956 is probably the best way to look it up um and (laughs) it's not good (laughs) <laughs> but it's but it's interesting. But it exists. It, it exists, yes. and it's interesting. And if you see it, then you will have seen it. Then you will have seen it. Yes, <laughs> you'll get the Vernon review. I, I think you that's. Will. I think that is a uh, an ongoing theme of this yeah. episode. Yeah, there you yeah. go. But the, but to me, the interesting thing was that you actually did have actual Air Force people going. Oh no, they, we know they exist. We just don't know what they are. <laughs> so what he's saying is, you can skip the movie because he just gave you the high points. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Or skip all the way to the ending to actually watch the actual UFO footage, which has probably appeared on In Search of and everything and like YouTube. that. And YouTube. Yeah, and YouTube. And uh, anything else you do this week? Got a little more time here, guys? Um, I watched the season finale of Doom Patrol on Thursday. Uh, I should say the unintended season finale because production ah. was cut short by COVID. Oh, um, that's right. So it ended Robot on- man can't catch COVID. Um, yeah, so Five it point. ended on an unintentional cliffhanger, but uh, still uh, still a pretty decent ending considering that there was supposed to be one more episode in this season. Um, definitely makes you go, okay, now I really want to know what happens in season three. So <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping, I, I haven't done any research to verify, but I'm hoping they do get a season three um, I believe it has been announced. Has it? Because yeah. I didn't see anything confirming. Because like a couple of articles I read said if they get a season three, it'll be addressed. Because uh, I looked up, I was like, well, this seems weird that that this ended so soon and after nine episodes. And yeah. they said, yes, it was shut down by, by COVID. Well, you know, Todd, what is Latino Review? 
Oh, let me look it up. Let we it, haven't sourced them maybe, in a long maybe time. Cos- maybe Vulture. Cosmic Book News will have something, or We Got This Covered will have something. There you go. Um, <laughs> I also watched a movie. It's on uh, It's on Prime Video. Uh, it's from last year. It's called Guns Akimbo. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really, it, really it, ridiculously it, fun movie. Is it from last year? I thought it got yeah. released like in February in the uh, States. It says 2019. Um, I, I looked it up to make sure. but Because uh, we, we brought it up on the show when it was coming up. Yeah. Um, so I did finally actually get to see it. Uh, stars Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Samara Weaving. Um, she's, she's just delightful in everything I've seen her in so far. <laughs> yeah. Like um, in this particular movie, she kind of plays a batshit insane assassin for for lack of a better word because this whole world is there is this big kind of game where they pit player against player and one of them has to kill the other one and you know obviously whoever's still standing at the end of the the one-on-one uh is the winner okay um it's almost like a game show kind of thing first person shooter Um, but actual first person real people yes daniel radcliffe's player plays a uh computer programmer that is apparently a world-class online troll hunter like he goes through and just like talks shit to people who are talking shit online the person that runs this game finds him bolts guns to his hands like physically <laughs> it's if you haven't seen the movie you'll see what i it, once you see the movie you'll see what i mean but they physically bolt these guns to his hand like he cannot take them off and makes him go against uh Nyx, who is the character that's played by samara weaving and chaos ensues but i mean it's it's like inappropriately funny at certain points <laughs> that kind of that really dark humor kind of movie I hesitate to say too much more because there's a lot of things that I would give away, but uh, it's say, fun. I would say if you're interested, yeah. see the trailer because the yeah. trailer sums up what you're getting into. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's nutty. I mean, it's it's crazy nutty fun is what it comes down to. So mm-hmm. I liked it. Highly recommend it. Yeah, it was just one of those those happy accidents I came across it when I was searching to see what was new on Prime Video, and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I've been wanting that. to look. At, I've been wanting yeah. to watch it for a while. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, fantastic. Those, those are the two main things. Star Trek Lower Decks. I saw the. First, I haven't watched it yet. I saw the first episode. It, it it's it's the Star Trek comedy that I thought the Orville was going to be, mm-hmm. which is fine because I like the Orville's. I like the Orville, mm-hmm. but this is just much more over the top, you know, animation comedy craziness. Uh, some p- people are upset because it kind of trashes star trek they're like oh starfleet wouldn't have these kind of characters and it's like no of course they wouldn't for god's sake you're watching a comedy cartoon for jesus oh my god it's funny it's pretty funny okay i guess that's my real fear because i'm like watching the the commercials for it i'm like this isn't really hitting for me as far as what they're showing in the commercial yeah you're miles ravery um but Maybe they saved the better jokes for the actual show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and maybe gold monkeys will fly out of my butt. <laughs> I was when I watched the uh the Star Trek panel from Comic Con, um, they did a, a segment on lower decks and they showed a clip from that and I was like, you know, it, it seems like it could be funny and I was definitely willing to give it a chance. And honestly, they've tried to work comedy into Star Trek for its entire run. Piece of the regardless, action, trouble with triples. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, people sometimes are poo-pooing Discovery because it's too serious and too too gritty. And I'm like, <laughs> but they do mix humor in there. Yeah. So it's not like they're trying to to make it, you know, drama trek all right. all the way. It's right. it's it's just it's just a good show, but at the same time, they try to work some levity into there. Yeah. And yeah. you know, every series has had that one comic episode. I mean, the one that stands out the most to people is Trouble with Tribbles. Um, but you know, there's that. Yeah, I, anyway, I I say give Lower Decks a, a shot. I was laughing through. I intend to. Yeah. I just hadn't. I, I I'm gonna wait until they get a few more episodes out before I <laughs> sign up for my free month trial again. Yeah, I, I think I'm I think I'm gonna wait until the third season of Discovery is out. Yeah. Then I will subscribe to CBS All Access, catch up on all this stuff. Because yeah. isn't it October that? Uh, Season three of Discovery is coming out. I think. Who knows anymore? Um, well, I mean, it has been officially announced. I just, right. I, 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 I looked at it, and now I can't remember. Yeah, I think you're right. I, think it's I, I say all dates are tentative. So yeah, well, well, <laughs> but they're expected. Yes, they're in a they're in a good uh, spot because they got all of their principal photography done prior to oh, then, the yeah. COVID shutdown. So it's all been like effects work from a lot of their um, crew has been working from home doing the the special effects and so forth. Oh, yeah, so. You're right. They're in a bunch better. Space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just also want to throw out a thank you to Microscope, Chris. Uh, thank you for uh, getting me to watch uh, enemy of mine. That's, that's <laughs> it's your fault. And I appreciate it. Uh, also the uh, geek shock book club is reading the old guard by Greg Rucka and discussing it now. So uh, you can go to the Facebook page for that. And gentlemen, uh, cause you know, last week we didn't get to do much news, and this week there's even more news. What the? So, well, I got some news for you. Greg Rucker is a fucking cool guy. <laughs> you know what? Yes, sure. I, I I met the man many times. Uh, once at a comic book store, he was doing a signing, and he actually used to come into Trek and sit at the bar. Very so, cool. Uh, he and Darren. All I the got good to, writers do, man. Got to chat <laughs> a lot about. I mean, because I I thought I knew who it was, but I was like, nah. And then he got to talking, and then he did like some sketches for Darren and I while he was sitting there. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's even cool. though he's primarily a writer, right? If I'm not mistaken, yes, very yeah. much. So. Yes. So I, so you can come up to Jeff at our next live show, and Jeff will do a sketch for you, even though he's not a artist. In fact, <laughs> do that. Skip Andy. He's not and a bad ask, ask Jeff for a sketch. <laughs> I, I will say for a writer, he's not a bad artist. <laughs> yeah. Just skip the placeholder and go right to Jeff for art. You mean Darren's friend? <laughs> yeah. Skip the placeholder and go right to Darren's friend. <laughs> All right, so let's do some news. News you don't give a shit about. <laughs> There so you go. Nice, weak. nice. Uh, what? I was understated. That was. I just. You you're, know. you're no placeholder. <laughs> <laughs> well, gee, thanks. <laughs> I, I feel strangely good. <laughs> uh, news you don't give a shit about: a feature film adaptation of Knight Rider is on the way from Spyglass Media and producers James Wan, uh, T.J. Fixman, and veteran video game writer of the Ratchet and Clank series has reportedly been hired to pen the screenplay. A classic of the 1980s television, Knight Rider originally ran on NBC for a total of 90 episodes across four seasons between 1982 and 1986. show, of course, starred David Hasselhoff as Michael Knight, former cop who becomes a vigilante hero with the help of an intelligent car named Kit. What? Kitty cat? 
Tim in here. We're talking about you. Kit with two T's. Oh, sorry. Wrong one. Over the years, the series gained quite a few following quite a few. Really? Did I, did I write that? No, I didn't. I, I wrote quite a large following, but said few for no, no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> Over the years, the series gained quite a large following and as a result spawned an entire multimedia franchise of spinoffs made for TV movies, books, games, comics. Uh, while plot details are thin at the moment, it is said the upcoming movie version will be set in the present and, quote, maintain the anti-establishment tone of the original, unquote. Uh, as the biggest uh, fan of this show, Jeff, what do you think? Um, I'm going to take a wait and see attitude because this is not the first time they've tried to make a feature film sure. with it. I mean, there's, there's at least three other attempts at making a, a feature film that I'm aware of. Um you know, I mean, it's uh, it's a product of its time as far as, like, the TV show is concerned. I think you could do it. I never saw Knight Rider so much as anti-establishment because the, the whole notion was that one man can make a difference, and it was more of... That sounds anti-establishment to me. The, the whole that sometimes law enforcement can't go far enough or... You know... Oh, Dirty yeah, Harry. Dirty Harry, yeah. Oh, well, obviously... Not... They can go far enough, so yeah. There's no point to the TV show anymore. Yep, done. <laughs> Re- rewrite. When you can, you know, uh, shoot unarmed people in I the back when they're running away, say, but you're covered. Uh, at any rate, Hasselhoff really made that show at that time because yeah. he was definitely a big personality. I mean, it's it's not a show that really holds up well today because uh, there's. There's. It seems like there's a lot of jumping from plot point to plot point in that TV series with a lot without a lot of connecting tissue in between. It's like, wait, how did we get here now? Well, it's almost got, like the writers said, "Oh shit, the show's a success. We have to write more." Yeah, God damn. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, sure, if they can do it and do it well, why not? <laughs> that's that's the question though right if it's the, done well <laughs> the, the, the question the the thing that makes me nervous a little bit with this is tj fixman he's yeah. he's the guy that's was one of the writers for ratchet and clank and i think that ratchet and clank is one of the finest written comedy video games out there but if that's the comedy style that you're going to apply to Knight Rider, I'm not well, so sure that marries well. You know, it wouldn't be the first time they brought a 80s television or 90s television series to the big screen as a comedy. I mean, 21 Jump Street, right? I mean, you know, which your mileage may vary with that one. Yeah, so I mean, Brady Bunch movie. Yeah, did it not mention so, the casting? No, I don't think it's, so. Uh, it's Seth Rogen. Uh, in the Michael Knight part, and um, see now you're now you're stretching, and uh, <laughs> he's spouting the Green Hornet is what he's doing, <laughs> and Josh Gad is the voice of Kit, <laughs> fucking Josh Gad. So you're just <laughs> right out, <laughs> and uh, see Steve, you ruin it with by smiling as you say it. You so, got to yeah, keep yeah. it stone faced so you can lure Todd into this hopeful. Ooh, a news item. No, he's right, just a yeah. fucker. So now okay. I have to ask yeah. since, since you brought his name up steve i have to ask Uh-oh. you were you able to power through the reunited aparts on youtube no 
No, you no. just couldn't wow. couldn't bring yourself to do it. I I probably eventually will. I I've just been busy the last couple of months. Okay, because um. <laughs> I was like, in spite God. of Gad, that excuse again. Yeah, it's How worth a watch. Cause everyone take a drink when Steve uses that fucking excuse. because <laughs> <laughs> okay, he he definitely fanboys out on those things, but you know. Yeah. What, what was I fucked Josh Gad about last what, what, night? You're gonna what, fuck Josh Gad uh, last human. night, Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl, that's right. Wait, you were gonna Fucking fuck, fuck him on Artemis? What? We were watching fail videos, and oh boy, there's a major promo push for Artemis Fowl on Disney Plus. Oh, right. And so every single fucking video started with an Artemis Fowl trailer. And uh, every time uh, Hagrid, I mean Josh Gad, would pa- pop up, uh, Steve would just be like, fuck Josh Gad. <laughs> I, and then, I, I do love how just deep-seated the hatred is. This is some Vernon-level hate. This He's well, digging in there deep. Right, Give so, it to so your here's my Here's my Josh Gad caveat. Okay, here it, here it is. From from all we reports, we keep hearing that word a lot on this show. We lately. do. We are the caveat show. <laughs> yes, caveat shock. Um, <laughs> from caveat. all reports, he he's actually a pretty nice guy. Okay, and oh. pretty easy to work with. How oh, dare he? Yeah. Wow, How dare Steve. He? I've I've heard that. Wow. Too. Having said that, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess he was really funny in Book of Mormon. I, I, that's where I first really learned about him was Book of Mormon. Yeah, but I'm just saying every time I see that guy on screen, I he just he's not good. And like, what was it? Fifth Avenue was is that the name of the sci-fi show? Sure. Oh, that's that's who's playing the Edward Mulher character is um, Hugh Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just terrible in that. But I mean, that show's terrible. So yeah, that. Oh, but he's, he doesn't make it better. He makes it worse. <laughs> and he was in this show called 16 Pen, which is about the first family. It had um, Bill Pullman as the president. Was it Bill Pullman? I can't remember. Anyway, he was the Not president's son and just obnoxious. And you could tell it was one of those half-improvised shows. And all of his improv- improvisations were just like, look at me. I'm the center of the scene. I'm not going to share it at all. And it's like, fuck off. Who is this guy? I, I will say for Josh Gad, he plays insufferable all too well. Yeah. <laughs> and and not likably insufferable. Like House is likably insufferable. So you didn't like him in The Rocker? In the what? The rocker. <laughs> you know, it's about those old people. Yeah. Uh, Rain Wilson, the movie where he's the drummer from this band that's, you know, oh, that made it, it but right. he was kicked out right before they, they made it big. And, and then he goes to no idea Am- what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, and he goes to an Amish col- colony and joins no. them and then starts whittling chairs. <laughs> no. The rocker. Yeah. <laughs> it ends no, with I, him on the I porch being apparently. like, well, that's how Watch the rocker. It's, it's got him. It's got Emma Stone. Okay, Emma Rain Stone Wilson. is a selling point there. Yeah, the Josh it's a good Gad movie. is making me want to go and. Oh boy, he's going to hate chunk. the Emma Stone Josh Gad makeout. <laughs> Jason Sudeikis is also in it. Oh well, see there you go. Okay, he's going to hate the going, Josh Gad oh, Jason Sudeikis makeout Josh scene. Gad. <laughs> uh, oh, that's really that's really shit. funny. That's really, oh god, fuck, <laughs> shit, someone shit at the computer. <laughs> Does this make Biggs a gadfly? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Professor Gadfly. Nice. That is very nice. Everybody use that on the lair. <laughs> Placeholder. Uh, Christina, Gadfly. Christina Applegate's also in it. Okay. Yeah. She, she, it's got a great cast. It's a fun little 
lighthearted movie about yeah. the Amish. I almost gave up on on Dead to Me, uh, but it but it saved itself in the second. What was it? What was Dead to You? Uh, uh, dead to Me it was almost Dead to Me. Um, what was Dead to You? I hate you all. Dead to Me. <laughs> I hate then, you all. Is that the sequel to Dead to Me? <laughs> yeah. But then the last couple of episodes in the second season were like, oh, okay, now we're back on track. So, and and Christina Applegate mm-hmm. was starting to be just, oh, I, I, it's not, I don't, not like, how do I put this? <laughs> Christina Applegate's awesome, but I was starting to just hate her character without, without there being anything redeemable about the character. And then it kind of flipped in the last three episodes. I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Now, now. That character's redeemed herself a little was bit. Was it intentionally written that way, do you think? Or that just they evolved the character over the course of the series? I Probably a little of both. Okay. And and But then she, she has a nice... She and Linda Cardinelli actually have a couple of really nice scenes together, and it just kind of flips, and I was like, there you go. Okay. So they had their redemption moment. Board. Yeah. So Did I was you? back on board. But yeah, she's fun in that. Or can be. <laughs> so, so yeah, Knight Rider. <laughs> yeah, yeah so Knight Rider. Gadfly, starring starring. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've, never, I've never lost my fate. Oh, here we go. Knight Rider and Josh Gad is the voice of Kit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Well, there, Michael, there, um, actually, there's know. your tie-in because William Daniels uh-huh. played un, uh, unsuff- insufferably lovable. Lovable insufferably on St. Very well. Seventeen seventy six, Saint Elsewhere. He was the king of just an absolute pompous ass that you you actually could but, sympathize with. But I liked him. Yeah. I did not like Josh Gaines. <laughs> <laughs> He'll grow up. Who on you. who once again, apparently in real life. Very nice person. Well, we have a special treat for you, Biggs. Here on the show for the first time, oh Josh Fucking Josh <laughs> Kit, where's your poop? Wow. Funny thing is he'd say that even if Josh Gad wasn't here. He just says that every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> Kit, where's your poop? <laughs> no, you don't give a shit about... Uh, International residents that don't have CBS All Access will be getting a new streaming service from Viacom CBS possibly as soon as next year. The media company is aiming to launch its global streamer in early 2021, combining offerings from its TV channels like CBS, MTV, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, and its movie holdings like Paramount Films into a streaming platform combining Showtime and CBS All Access. Heading to Australia, Latin America, and the Nordics first, then following up in other international markets. The new streamer looks to morph those countries' channels with the already present services of either CBS All Access in Australia and Paramount Plus in Latin America, the Nordics, and Eastern Europe. Hmm. Uh, This puts many of Viacom CBS's global streaming deals in question, as the global rights to many of its series have contracts in place for distribution elsewhere. Picard, for example, comes from Amazon Prime outside of the U.S., the plan looks to combine the company's media offerings into a single source, following the footsteps of Warner Media's HBO Max and NBC Universal's Peacock, but only outside the U.S. <laughs> for now. So look for this consolidation coming to a streaming service near you. All right. Uh, so yeah, okay. So I still have my CBS All Access uh, subscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they've yeah. They've added a lot of. Con- they've added the Paramount Film Library. Yep, a lot of it to it. 
So, and a lot of obviously old CBS TV shows and stuff. But yeah, they've added a lot of Paramount movies and stuff. Top Gun. I got a feeling once this international thing is finished, that it's going to be just the whole umbrella. It's going to just like it'll be rebranded as a Netflix like thing. Mm-hmm. Because when you have that much, calling it CBS All Access is kind of dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think they're already like pretty much halfway there so far as the U.S. market goes. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I hope. CBS Paramount thing is such a weird <laughs> trip. It's like, you know, you got Viacom that bought up all those old movies and then got rich enough to to buy CBS or and then, or to buy Paramount rather and then Paramount gets big enough to buy all the CBS networks and then they decide, "Hey, let's split the companies up so we can make even more money." And then, "Oh shit, now we don't have the power to go up against all these huge conglomerates, so we've got to reunite." <laughs> yeah. Oh. <sighs> You know, it's really, it, that that was fun, too. We actually, uh, to do a bit of a John Wayne fest, we watched True Grit, John Wayne's True Grit, mm. with uh, with Vernon. And it was fun watching Vernon every, like, ten minutes or so going, oh, my God, he was in the episode of Trek where... Because oh, yeah. there were tons of Paramount day players who just kept popping up into oh, yeah. the movie. It was hilarious. Yeah. And, of course, I, I thought, oh, John Fiedler's in this. And he was like, who? I go, you'll know him when you see him. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> and he was like, he's like, yeah, well, I guess we're still waiting for John Fiedler to show up. And sure enough, he shows up at the end. And he's like, oh, look. I go, yeah, and, John Fiedler. And then Vernon, <laughs> Vernon is all, Red Jack, Red Jack, Red Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Die, 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 die. Everybody die. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way you did that, Jeff. It's, I just want to say. <laughs> we need to, can we isolate that? Use that as a ringtone? I'll do it again for you. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> for a fee. That's, <laughs> you don't have to. That's the bone chilling, those are the bone chilling words you don't want to hear after somebody says die, die, die. <laughs> I'll, do, do I'll do it again for you. For a fee. <laughs> die, die, die. News you don't give a shit about. Yeah. yeah. Mel Brooks's classic 1974 Western comedy Blazing Saddles is getting an animated reimagining called Blazing Samurai. Blazing Saddles starred uh, Gene Wilder and Cleavon Little. And while this upcoming animated film is going to be very different in a lot of ways, it sounds like the story it tells will be very similar. But it will involve a dog becoming the sheriff of a town of cats. <laughs> the movie is being directed by Mark uh, Costier, uh, and the story follows Hank, a, quote, lovable mutt with big dreams of being, uh, that's the wrong sentence, the, with big dreams of becoming a samurai when he finds himself with a new job as sheriff of Kakamucho. He also finds he may have bitten off more than he can chew, given the town is inhabited solely by cats, unquote. <laughs> The voice cast includes Michael Sarah, Samuel L. Jackson, Ricky Gervais, George Takai, uh, Michelle Yeoh, Jimon Honsu, and Mel Brooks. The project has a budget of $46 million and currently in CG production with Ad Adventure. Completion is expected for 2021. Ah, so take that, all you people that said Blazing Saddles could never be remade again in, in today's culture. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, that's, Yeah. <laughs> What? I don't know. Aren't you excited, Jeff? No. <laughs> Blazing Saddles is just a so such a well-crafted film that it's... Here's the thing, though. It's it's not... Blazing Saddles isn't going anywhere. It's, no, I, I just... You're, you're right. It's a well-crafted film that we will always treasure. And it's still somewhat misunderstood by certain audiences uh, today. Huh? 
And that's because that's the same the same people that say, "Oh, you couldn't have made that film in this day and age." He's like, "Well, he had trouble making that film <laughs> in that day and age." Yes, because and- the topics were so controversial, and this was his way of using comedy to to point out how ridiculous, you know, bigotry and you know the way that the old West was just. It's, it's such a layered yeah. film. Yeah, I think the people that think, oh, you couldn't make that movie today only like it because they identify with the racists in it. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Because if you look around at what movies do get made, yeah. there's, there's still plenty of offensive, potentially offensive movies getting made. You could do another Blazing Saddles easily. Probably easier now, like you say, than you could back yeah. then. But is, is this really... A remake of Blazing Saddles. No. It mean, sounds dog like... Dog Police of Cats is... It sounds like, at most, a dog cat uh, Magnificent Seven to me, actually. <laughs> okay, You sure. know, where the, the seven would be dogs and it's one dog. I mean, it, it it's really funny. I'm, I was listening for the punchline, reading for the punchline where it, it tells you it's Blazing Saddles, and you really don't get there. I mean, it's like okay, so okay, so Cleavon Little is a is the dog, and everyone out the white people are the cats, and it's just it it kind of it's kind of weird. It really you know samurai, and then it's like the samurai is going to be sheriff of the ta- what town of cats? Yeah, yeah, I. I don't know. Whatever. Well, here, here's the only thing that really truly connects it is the fact that Mel Brooks is a part of this thing. He's, yeah. he's producing it. He's, is well, he producing one it? of the producers okay. of it. He's not just a voice, but he is involved with it. Um, but is his name just on there as a producer credit? Because most likely. Okay, but and you know he's doing the voice work, but but it's it's like it's like get smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very tangential. <laughs> it's I, unless this thing ends with. Uh, cats and samurai going through various Hollywood Hollywood production sets. Then, <laughs> yeah. then, then, then oh. okay, maybe I'll agree with you, but I don't think that's going to end that way. Yeah. Oh, I love that fucking part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did he do such spectacular stunts with such small hands? <laughs> uh, we are going to introduce a. You are here. Here it is. At five fifty, Biggs is here, and for five fifty, we are in- officially introducing a new segment of the show. What? Now you're really gonna piss Andy off. <laughs> 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 for ages, we have we have had those stories that skirt the edge of news you don't give a shit about in Week and Geek. We don't know where to throw them. Now we have a place to throw them, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Purgatorio. Oh. Oh, the? until until certain now, people. Now, see, when you say the, it sounds like it should be the purgatorium. No. But purgatorio on its own without the the sounds more, I don't know, whatever. It's your wow. thing. Wow. And I was you, waiting you do, for I was waiting you. for other people to show up on the lair to criticize this, this yeah. creative choice. You do you. Uh, yeah, man. Just got to throw it out there right now. You're going to poo-poo <laughs> it, a great idea that we threw there out there. Well, that's I, apparently I a like, tradition. I like <laughs> yeah. Purgatorio. I, I was just waiting calling for the music. The. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> Your booze mean nothing. And I it, see what makes you cheer. Yeah. And, then, and then you got to post a, a emoji of you going, shrug. <laughs> 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 and then, then do some fucking thing with Purgatorio with 
Kit's face in the O or something. <laughs> <laughs> Purr, P-U-R-R. Purgatorio, the very first, is, is very timely, this story, because we were talking about it last week, oh, yeah. and this week it fucking happened. Holy Uh-oh. shit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Holy yeah. fucking shit. Let me read it. All right. Okay. After over 70 years, the Paramount Consent Decrees have officially been terminated. A New York federal judge recently granted a motion by the U.S. Department of Justice to bring an end to the movie industry's long-lasting licensing rules. This is pretty big news. Yeah. And it's very possible that the movie theater business will never be the same again. When theaters do open back up, they'll be faced with a whole new issue to deal with. For those of you not familiar with the Paramount Consent Decrees, they have been in effect since the late 1940s. During the golden age of Hollywood, the Justice Department took the major movie studios to court because they felt that they had way too much power over the movie industry. Back then, the studios owned their own movie theaters, and they were able to run them however they wanted. They would mostly just screen their own movies and lock out all the competition. Mm -hmm. As The Hollywood Reporter explains, quote, The government pursued a major antitrust action against film studios, which in those days were vertically aligned with national theater chains. As a result, the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark 1948 decision in United States v. Paramount Pictures, the studio had to divest themselves of their exhibition holdings. A court-approved settlement then established rules governing the licensing relationship between certain studios such as Paramount and Warner Brothers and theater owners. Other studios, such as the Walt Disney Company, weren't part of the original case, but have nevertheless been guided by those Paramount consent decrees. I'm going to interject right here. Ah. That's how the El Capitan Theater was able to exist, because Disney Studios came into existence after these decrees. And these decrees, they named the studios that weren't allowed to do this. It didn't say, and any future studios... So they well, those big ones were locked. Disney up. was around, but they they also didn't own their own movie theaters at that time. Yeah, and and they weren't the powerhouse. They weren't even remotely the powerhouse right, that they are today. Right. I mean, there were times where Walt Disney struggled to get the movies that they were making. Like I wasn't it like hard for them to get Snow White in the theaters mm-hmm. or something like that all at of, the time. Almost all. Of yeah. Them. Okay. Like they, they they were having difficulty with getting well, screenings. Well, that, that does help explain El yeah, Capitan. So that, yeah, El Capitan. That's why it exists. It's outside of these decrees. Uh, continuing, it's explained that total bans on practices like block booking, that's bundling multi-films into one theater license, and circuit dealing, that's the practice of licensing films to all movie theaters under common ownership, as opposed to licensing them on a theater-by-theater basis, has outlived their usefulness. Quote, mm-hmm. So, with the Paramount Consent Decrees no longer in effect, movie studios can now start building up their own movie theater chains or even buying up existing movie theater chains. That's probably what's going to happen. I wonder if that's why AMC and Universal made their deal last week. It's well, I mean, Disney was rumored to be buying AMC a while back. That that was like a year ago, and then that kind of drifted away. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... Well, here's to it roaring back. They will also be able to run those theaters any way they want, meaning they don't have to screen films that they don't want to screen, competitors or otherwise. U.S. District Court Judge uh, Annalisa Torres said in an opinion, quote, 
Giving, given this changing marketplace, the court finds that it is unlikely that the remaining defendants would collude once again to limit their film distribution <laughs> to a select group of theaters in the absence of the decrees. Oh, oh God. And finds, therefore, that the termination is in the public interest, I unquote. G- Oh. Yeah, she also said something about like current antitrust laws were more than sufficient to enforce. And I'm like, oh, yeah, really? yeah. yes. C-A-T-N-T. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. judge goes on to explain that the way the market has changed over the years is justification for allowing this to happen, saying, quote, in today's landscape, although there may be some geographic areas with only a single one screen movie theater, most marketplaces have multiple movie theaters with multiple screens simultaneously showing multiple movies from multiple distributors. And there's also many other distribution platforms like television, the internet, and DVDs that did not exist in the 1930s and 40s. Given these significant changes in the market, there is less danger than a block booking licensing agreement would create a barrier to entry that would foreclose independent movie distributors from sufficient access to the market, unquote. Welcome to the new age of cinema. Same as the old age of cinema. <laughs> yeah. <no>. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember reading that article too and just, just like I was dumbfounded by the 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 mindset that this judge had in order to come up with this I am so sick opinion of these of these fucking agreements where the 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 they they do that they're just like yeah i i don't i don't see the circumstances you know where they're going to want to do it it all the 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 opinion for a lot of court officers i guess the best way to put it cuz not all of them are judges that make these decrees but a lot of them it's their opinion that Businesses aren't going to do anything that's going to hurt the consumer because it wouldn't be in their best interest. Even though we have more than a hundred years worth of proof to, you know, <laughs> to, to the show contrary. the exact opposite. Jeff, are you saying that there's pr- corruption in business? Well, here's here block booking is still going on. Yes, it is. It has been going on for decades. <laughs> They call it something different now. It's mm-hmm. bundling and packaging deals, and it barely skirts the law. Not anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, now, now, now it's you know a moot point. Now they but, just call it block booking. But I mean, the argument for a lot of the studios is that the theater chains have get grown so big and so powerful now that this is what their only recourse <laughs> and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, the studios still have all the power. Right. Yeah. They've never really. I mean. In the 40s and 50s, yes, they did have to give up their power. They didn't have the strength against the theater owners after the Paramount decree that that they were able to figure out how to do once you got into like the 70s and then the 80s, and then the studios became really powerful again, mm-hmm. and then even more so in the 90s and now the 2000s. Uh, one of the arguments the judge made was like, you know, studios like Netflix has their own studios. Amazon has their own studios now. And they weren't governed by this decree, so why should all the other studios be governed by this decree? <laughs> and it's like, movie uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they don't own movie theaters, right. and, and they only do small theatrical screenings. You know, and typically they book it at a theater that already exists, and they we have Mulan coming out soon. Oh, that's going to be that's the next story. That's going to be a thirty dollar view on demand now rental now lifetime rental if you keep your subscription to. I don't have to read the story now. Well, well, look, look. (laughs) The the point being, 
<laughs> it makes it this that aspect does make it difficult to argue that Amazon or Netflix or what have you do not have their own theater chains because their subscription services are de facto chains of their own. Yeah. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a point to make though? Yeah, except that. Oh, except that. Um, in the eyes of the law, they don't see home screening, even sure. if it's a subscription service, as a theatrical event. Sure, sure. In the eyes of the law, defining a theatrical yeah. event. But in terms of distribution, in terms of of your, your possessing your means of putting something out there and, and being exclusive versus other things isn't... Isn't the subscription service basically the same thing? Well, I know the theater owners are already upset over the Mulan thing because they're they were booking on or they were planning on that being something to help them recoup some of their losses during the pandemic. Well, sure. In the fall, but and apparently I, it's. I mean, I'll, I'll wait to get into the article, but apparently it's, it's going to be streamed and screened. But, sure. But I, but people are like, well, if they're going to pay thirty bucks to rent it, and and it's a one time rental fee so as long as you keep your disney plus account <laughs> you're still going to have it you know that's way less expensive than a family would have to pay to go see it in the theater yeah should, well, I, just, uh, should I just read the new story at this point yeah I, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know what you know, we'll since, since, you're, since you're incorporating yeah, read it, it in and we'll revisit all right <laughs> also in purgatorio um the after months of seeking the right window during the pandemic to get mulan into theaters the film will hit Disney Plus streaming service. Didn't we just talk about this? See, motherfucker. <laughs> Added onto subscribers' regular monthly fees of $29.99. I'm having deja vu. As a premium standalone film on September 4th. As of last month, Disney's small screen platform registered a reported 60.5 million subscribers after launching in November of last year. Uh, Disney CEO Bob Chappick reportedly disclosed Disney's big decision during a call with investors. He also reportedly emphasized that the Disney Plus release of Mulan will be a one-and-done phenomenon, saying the company views it as a, quote, one-off as opposed to saying there's some new business windowing model that we're looking at, unquote. So the uh, $29.99 fee won't get you a rental period, uh, won't get you a rental period with an expiration date. It'll result in you permanently owning the live-action remake However, you need to be an ongoing Disney Plus subscriber to gain access to the film. So if you cancel your subscription, you can't watch it until you re-up your subscription, then it'll be available to you again. Of course, by that time, it'll probably be just on Disney Plus. Yeah. Uh, who knows? It'll eventually go to Disney Plus. Right. That'd be crazy. My, that When that story broke, but that was my response. Is I'm, I'm going to wait until I can see it in a the theater or it just comes on to Disney Plus. So, so now that we've put that out there, yes, please incorporate that into your arguments. <laughs> I don't know. I've said everything. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think the difference between the, between the various subscription services and, um, and the movie theater thing is that you go into the subscription service knowing that you're going to get exclusive content. And I don't necessarily know that if you walked into an AMC theater that you would know that you're only going to see Disney movies or well, you're only going to see Universal you movies. you will or, be shortly. I guess... I mean, but, I mean, I mean, you can make that argument right now. Well, not today, <laughs> but you can make that argument for the, you know, for our old standard. Sure. But I mean, in the future, it'll be like, oh, wow. So and so's coming out. Where's the where's the closest AMC? I mean, that'll affect 
some of us snobs who really want to be galaxy only. Well, that's what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> decisions like this are going to affect smaller chains. Yeah. And independently owned mom and pop theaters. Oh, yeah. Small towns that have a theater that's only owned by somebody that's local are going to be hit hard because they're not going to be able to compete monetarily. I, the the I, studios are going to be able to set their own prices. Right. More so than they already have which, been. Which was one of the arguments back in 1948. Yeah. And you had all these in, these independent movie theaters going, oh, we're getting gouged because we're, you know. Yeah. You know, if we want to show, if we want to show the Gone with the Wind or if we want to show Sleeping Beauty or if we want to show Ben-Hur or, well, uh, all, none of those are great examples. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, the, the studios could say, well, uh, here's our share of the ticket price. Yeah. You know, it's like you got to pay it. us this much up front, and we're going to take, you know, yeah, right. this much of your, yeah. yeah. So I, it's, uh, and, and, and if and, you and, and if you have a universal only, as I think you spoke to this yeah. a little bit, but I want to reiterate it. If you have, let's say, Universal buys this theater in Muncie, Indiana, yep, and they show Universal Picture Films only, uh, they make those movies available to other theaters, but they only show it there. But because they own them, they can offer it at a lower ticket price yeah. and, and undercut all the other theaters showing that same movie right? because they own it. Yeah, because they're still going to make all their money on popcorn and Coke. Right. Yeah. yeah. And to the other point, uh, I grew up in small town, Indiana. We had, we talked about it before, we had the one theater, the, the not very well built one. Sure. Uh, <laughs> the closest theater from that one was a half hour away. And so, if you didn't want to see one of the two movies they had, you had you had a half hour in this direction to one theater, an hour in another direction to a different theater. And if Universal comes in and says, "Yep, I see your little independent movie theater is failing," we'll buy it. Then all of a sudden, Universal is the only movies you get to see in Portland, Indiana, unless you right. want to drive a half hour to an hour away. Yeah. And I mean, you know. I, I love the Galaxy Theaters change, I, I, chain. I think that they have done a fantastic job of making a customer-centric experience with their staffing and with the way that they have crafted their individual theaters within their complex. Having said that, I'm not sure that that small of a chain, because they're primarily in California, I think, California, Nevada, and Arizona, I think are the the three major states that Galaxy's in. So a chain that's technically that small, are they going to be able to survive in this new environment? And I'm not even talking about the mom and pops example like you said, because that, that, that's the extreme end of the the spectrum. They're they're going to be the ones hardest hit. But your smaller chains that are kind of up and coming, are they going to be able right. to compete? Will they sign exclusive contracts with people? Will Galaxy all of a sudden be only yeah. universal? Exactly. Are they going to have to do what's right for them to survive as a company? Will they, or will they, will they be allowed to parse out? Like my Galaxy down the street is universal, but the Galaxy at the cannery on East Side yeah. is Paramount versus wherever. I don't. You know it. Mm. Yeah. No. It's. But it, I, you know what? I I will say this. We don't even know what movie watching is going to be like. Right. Yeah. It, it, I mean, uh, the whole Mulan thing, I may actually pay the ownership price simply because I don't know that we're going to be open in <laughs> September. I have an awful feeling yeah. we're going to do a lot of a lot of two steps forward, three steps back with this, and I don't have confidence that shit's going to be opening 
in any 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 uh fun any want to do it degree uh yeah uh this year before christmas they the regal and carmike are tentatively going to be opening slowly at the end of this month yes yeah, cinemark out here cinemark that's that what too. i'm yeah cinemark cinemark and regal are are going to be again the two steps forward uh, which Cinemark tried back in July, in, in at least in California, and then the governor of California was like, "Nope, Huntington Beach fucked us all, shutting <laughs> or shutting yeah, down again." Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm you know, and, and I mean and that, Vegas is not going anywhere with yeah, in yeah. terms of in terms of and it's Sturgis's fault, you know, in <laughs> yeah. terms of of uh, 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 cases going down. Yeah. So I just I yeah, don't know, man. September I. I don't know. Well, the theaters were given permission to to try to do a kind of phased reopening back in July, but here we are, second week in August. They still don't have a plan to move forward with reopening their theaters, right. and quite frankly, I think it's for the best because yeah. even though you know, well, I'm not going. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I mean, the last movie I saw was at the Galaxy in the Boulevard Mall. I was the only one in the theater. No, I, I, I take that back. There was uh, a, a couple. So there were three of us total in the theater, in the in the back of the theater, and I was towards the front. And it was <laughs> uh, uh, the last Pixar film, which name is escaping me. Uh, 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 yeah. Toy Story. Onward? Mm-hmm. Onward. Yeah, is Onward. Onward. Yeah, which, by the way, it's a great film. I right. look into it. That's the only reason I remembered it, because you, yeah. you talked about it. You raved. I wasn't concerned, even though this was like literally three days before the lockdown. I mean, this was on a Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon. The lockdown went into effect on Tuesday of that week. I didn't feel unsafe because there were so few people in the theater. But if that had been a weekend, like a, like a weekend primetime ticket, you know, on a Friday or Saturday, that theater would have been packed. So even if you try to say every other seat, and granted, galaxies are a little more spread out than some of your your bigger chain theaters. The last time I was at the AMC uh, in Town Square, I forgot how spoiled I was at the Galaxy because those chairs are quite close together. And even if you set only every other seat, the person behind you is real close to you. Do you... Is this one of the stories about about theaters reopening? No. Okay, because the Regal plan is that they have developed new software so that anytime somebody buys a, buys a ticket, mm-hmm. there's a zone around that ticket, around that seat, that no seats there can be, can be bought. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you can buy two together or you know one, but then, then there's like a circle around that seat that no seats can be bought there. It's a good uh, move. Yeah. And, and then they're going to... They're gonna, really stagger the show times in the hopes that there's not like a whole bunch of like 11:50 or 12 noon shows so that people have to queue up and everything and they're really going to be pushing the you know using the app to like order your popcorn and coke before you get there and then just go pick it up and go to your seat kind of thing so well you know what's really funny too is that covid aside all that actually is pretty attractive to me for going to a movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. of it. Have my shit ready yeah. for me. Keep lines yeah, down. Steve, I went to go see this movie called Cats, 
And uh, we, we, I had the full experience because, you know, how cats will kind of bundle up to stay warm with Andy on one side and Kay on the other and us just touching shoulders <laughs> at the AFC. Yeah, we had the full experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah I was watching one of my travel blogs. This um, skinny guy in between the two. <laughs> and uh, actually, it was the, the Adam the Woo. He went to the reopening of uh, Disney World. And in one of the theater experiences, they had every other row blocked off and then every other seat blocked off. So that's the closest thing that I could think of them still being able to mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. right. But even then, you're still relatively close to... Well, it's like, an even if you walk out, yeah. space. Yeah, right. It's just exactly. the idea of being in that dark room where that, you know, I mean, you yeah. get that, you can get that ordinarily that one bastard who doesn't bathe or sure you know wears the adult diapers and they come in and they comic-con experience and they, they would yeah. and they would them. be exempt from the mask rule because people are going to eat their popcorn well, and drink their soda well well it, it, even even well yeah but even then it's just uh, that whole that whole environment kind of well, he's, he's creating his own COVID cloud of protection. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Using a stench yeah, right. as, uh, as gets his own six foot as a barrier. Fat dissolving thing so that the proteins will dissolve the. Good the God, Steve! <laughs> but yeah, you I put mean, a lot of thought in this. Right? Yeah. What Until are they teaching you in them colleges? <laughs> Until I, there's some kind I of. I saw a YouTube thing. I've been. I've done my oh, research. Okay, all right. I'm glad you asked questions. <laughs> I, yeah, I just ask. I ask questions, and there's YouTube clips. Yeah, I. I'm with you, Kay. I don't know that I would want to go back to a theater without a effective COVID treatment or vaccine because, yeah. I mean, there's you know, just, maybe when, maybe there's when too they, many stupid people out there. When they make those people pots, you know. The, the, oh, God. The, did you the, see that thing yeah. on, on yeah. was it Facebook today? No, it was on my it, news feed. Yeah. This kind of personal isolation thing that goes over your shoulders. It's and so it's, funny, too, because it just looks like a transparent pl plastic yeah. picture of shit that they were marketing in the 50s. Yeah. Like like for, for nuclear you know, shit. Yeah, stuff. it looks like it, see if it I can looks find like the spacesuits in the original series. Yeah, yes, yes. The original series yeah. Star Trek. Okay. Except, except it doesn't cover your whole body. It just like it attaches on your shoulders and like the space immediately around your head is completely covered up. And, is and, is and this is for COVID chest. protection? Or? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, because it has a, uh, a filtered um, air intake like on the back or something like that. Okay. Um, I... Because because they're not going to be putting a whole lot of tentpole movies in the theaters right away, the plan is to use all the studio's back catalogs. Um, I have a hunch there's not going to be a big problem with social distancing if you go to like a Wednesday matinee. Like I am going to, I'm itching to get back into a theater, so I will post my report. Um, I was all set to do it uh, at the end of July, and then Huntington Beach fucked us, so... Uh, but I mean, Fuckers. if you saw what the lineup was, it was a whole bunch of like really cool, you know, like '80s movies and Jaws and all that kind of stuff. And I was and for, playing for the week, you know, playing for the whole week, not just one day. So I was like, yeah, if I go to a Wednesday matinee, I'll I'll be probably getting a private screening. It'll be fantastic. That was great. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's why I love going to the the Galaxy matinees. Yeah, during the weekdays because. Yep. It's usually me and maybe two other people, mm -hmm. and typically the people that go are the type of people that want to be kind of quiet the movie. And, and enjoy the <laughs> film as opposed to talking throughout the movie. So it's like yeah. you know, and a much more enjoyable experience than but, having 
a full, full packed theater. But you do get that big disappointment when you're the only one in the theater oh, and that yeah. second person walks in. Yeah. That's all it takes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Oh, you found the you found the picture? <laughs> yeah. For our viewers out there, yeah, yeah I showed uh, Todd our pictures. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, okay, let's move out of that and go into some actual Weekend Geek. Woo! <laughs> I'm going to pay... <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for uh, sharing. I believe Want me to bring to the pee. microphone in with me? Yes. Uh, go into your COVID booth and... <laughs> this is a naked gun moment. Here, use my wireless mic. <laughs> In fact, it almost needs to be a rule on the show now. This is the new Geek Shock. <laughs> the one of us who's had Chipotle has to be in the bathroom. <laughs> The 2020 Hugo Awards were presented online by uh, Co and Zealand. Uh, that's this year's home for the 78th annual World Science Fiction Convention, the first ever virtual Worldcon. Okay. Uh, the winners in categories ranging from Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form would be, that's Neil Gaiman's Good Omen series, to Best Fanzine, uh, Anna Grillo and Thea James's The Book Smuggler's Fanzine, celebrate the creative output of the entire sci-fi community worldwide. Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form Prize was taken by The Good Places Season 4 episode, The Answer, beating out two Watchmen episodes and a Taiki Watiti-directed episode of The Mandalorian. Hmm. Best Series went to James S.A. Corey's The Expanse, beating out the Planetfall series and the Wormwood trilogy, among others. And Best Graphic Story or Comic went to Nettie Okatorafors and Tana Ford's La Guardia. Cool. So those nice. were, those were the big takeaways that I saw on the list. Yeah, um, the good place getting an award that makes me happy. I thought it would. So knowing knowing that you're going to be here to to have that there, that was uh, that was such a well written series. Got it. And like the finale was so satisfying. It's like one of the few finales where I'm like, I'm sad it's over, but I yeah. think they I think they they went out with. The way they should. Yeah, yeah. And Michael Schur, I mean, I think that's how he sold it. Well, no, he didn't. He had to break it to them that, that the fourth season was going to be the last one. But he he, but said, he knew at the beginning of the season before they, well, they had some episodes written. So they, he was able to have enough time to craft a, yeah. a, a proper ending. Well, no. His plan was to end at the fourth season. Oh, really? Yeah. It, he said He said, this is either a three or four season show. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um I he, love that plan. I love having a plan like that. Yeah. And he said, you know, NBC wanted him to continue it. Uh obviously the actors wanted would have liked to have gone on because no, the story the story is this long. <laughs> that was you know, it's funny because I was reading about um the T V show Lost recently and somehow, they had a, somehow they had a, I figured Lost would come into it. <laughs> I don't know why. Well they they had only planned for four seasons i think it was and abc was like no we need more padding we need more episodes so they that's why there's like in the middle of the series like all this kind of garbage yeah well that's, what i miss that's the garbage. the hugo uh, awards um oh well that's that was the problem with smallville yeah smallville was about young clark kent then they and then you get the high school graduation yeah and it's like okay, well we're we're technically we're contracted for seven seasons, so well, I was, guess we can send them to they, college. They originally signed for was it four, and then re-upped for the final three. But then Something after like they that. got to that, 
WB was like more, and and that's when and Michael, then they went to ten. Yeah, and that's but, when uh, Goff and Millar went. We no, we can't. Huh? Yeah, we, but what? yeah, they were what? like because Clark they, goes for his post graduate degree. Yeah, yeah, except that didn't happen. And then he gets into right. deep student debt. Yes, and, and that didn't happen. But you're right. I think Smallville <laughs> was never planned to go past seven seasons, and those final three seasons are like. Hugo well, Goff and Millar were already had already left the right. show by the time the final. Three yeah, years. yeah, yeah. So, they, you know. they when it got to season seven, they, they were like, gone. We Which cannot, is not to say we they cannot, were... in good conscience, continue the show yeah. that we wanted to do past this time, That's, right? Yeah, because why they didn't want to write him defending his doctorate. <laughs> yeah. Which, it, see, if if only that had been happening, that would have been better than what they came up with. If it had still been about young Clark Kent learning to be a journalist. They just wrote those. They did too many cutesy, uh, and, and again, I say this as a fan of the series, but they, right. they wrote themselves into so many corners. Yeah, with I was just going to say Clark that. not wanting to be a journalist. Chloe, why are you wasting your time with all this? It's like okay, well, she had a cult to run. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like okay, so obviously at some point something's going to flip him into wanting to take on a journalist career. Oh, and then we'll obviously see him go to college and learn journalism. Nope. Nope. <laughs> They go nope. to China for some Steve, reason. Steve, 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 you are you're you you so overthink this stuff. I guess you, you know, know. Just remember that scene in Trumbo, right, where he's like, <laughs> yeah. "Okay, wait a minute," but but the guy with the insect head wants to hook up with her, and she's in love. You're overthinking this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish they'd done some thinking uh, on on <laughs> se- season six and seven of that. So show. who wanted Hugo? Uh, oh, the Hugo good place. Did. What? And, uh, Hugo. Yeah. Oh, Hugo, the good the place. Robot. Yeah. Oh, are you happy? Movie? I'm very happy. <laughs> that, that, okay. That, All right. That made my butt pucker. Uh, I, but but, but <laughs> imagine, imagine a beautiful world where, when the pitch comes and they say we have it, the story going to this uh, seasons. If we want to extend it, we actually have an addendum story. We can go to this, but that's really all the story we want to tell. That that would be so nice for so many shows because mm-hmm. then you wouldn't have one the thing that you explained with Lost and Smallville yeah. uh, and then you wouldn't have the other side of the key where the writers and the producers just get fucking tired of the show and just said just fucking end it like Game of Thrones so I got a real career to go to you avoid those two things yeah do you have other Hugo Awards no we're done you decided to go pee oh okay no I was just I thought you might cue into the controversy no Oh, okay. No. Fine. Fine. D- did you want to uh, no, address actually, the controversy? No, I don't want to address it because I don't know. I mean, at this point, I sympathize with a lot what's going on, but at the same time, I'm, it's like. Honestly, I don't even, I, this time I didn't even hear about a controversy. Oh. So. Okay. George R. R. Martin. He was a host. Okay. So, <laughs> last year. There's the John Campbell Award for Best New Writer. Okay. And the woman who won it talked about how Campbell was kind of kind of a fascist, kind of a racist, and a misogynist. And he kind of directed uh, science fiction into a uh, in pro-industrialist, colonialist type of direction. And she was... She was railing against that even as she was accepting the award. 
um, and the, the the speech was very well regarded. So much so that it was changed to the Astounding Award. Astounding Science Fiction is what Campbell oh, was editor of. I like it. Well, Martin, in this year's Hugo Awards, the Campbells are given out at the Hugos, even as he acknowledges the forward strides progressives have made in the science fiction and fantasy community, he actually reminisces about Campbell in his little speeches and talky talks that he does as the host of the awards in between giving out the awards on this. It, uh, it, was, a pr- it was an online convention, an online presentation. Then he also talked about Robert A. Heinlein at length, um, and he is uh, not well regarded amongst the progressives. And so it actually, it almost came across as a rather regressive hosting in light of the transformation that's going on Ah. at the awards and in the science fiction and fantasy literary awards community. But it it was interesting, too, because... Martin was one of the people who was really uh, out there opposing the whole sad puppies, rabid puppies thing that was going on where reactionaries were kind of, you know, tainting the awards for a couple years there. So it was it was a bit of a surprise. A lot of people were kind of taken aback. And then there was a reaction and pushback to it. And, well, you know, I mean, I, it's I, yeah, it's it's always going to be difficult for people, especially much older people to reconcile the public fascia of their heroes and legends with their private persona. There are people that do some amazing things in the world and at in their home life, they're a bigot, they're a wife beater, they're you know, they're they're a whole midst of things. So it's like right. how do you reconcile the two? You right. know, it's, H.P. Lovecraft it's, being an yeah. absolute fucker. The, but, you the, know, the oh, prime. Yeah. The, there's yeah. still uh, there's still the whole discussion I, about uh, the Lovecraft the uh, World Fantasy Award, which is a bust yes. of Lovecraft, and I... I think they changed that. Did they finally change yeah. it? I think so. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because it's like a... I think it's like a... You know what? I don't know what it is, but yeah, they finally did do and, it. And, and good on them. I think they should. Uh, but uh, I, I, I like Lovecraft's work. I like the influence that his work has had on multiple genres. Right. But I'll be the first to say that what a, what a motherfucker. Yeah. 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 The positive influence that he has yes. versus any uh, any yeah. negative, and and I yeah. don't divorce the two. Uh, I I have a bobblehead of him at home that my wife got me, and I'm like, and I and I say I recognize his influence and what he had, but I also realize he's a motherfucker. Yeah, mm-hmm. I with mean, some really shitty uh, opinions about color. Humans can be very complex, is what it kind of yeah. comes down well, to. And yeah, but a lot of these approaches that are going on are not complex approaches. Sure. That's one of the problems I'm having, because I'm sympathetic with a hell of a lot that's going on, but there's, there, are, there are elements to it that also kind of like, I get a little, uh, it's like, oh, God, guys. You, so, you can know. lift up the positive influence at the same time as acknowledging right. the damage done as well. Right. It's it's in a lot of ways it's the it's the you know the people that can't acknowledge that America has roots in slavery and the mistreatment of the indigenous population and the mistreatment of Japanese, you know, that that those are in fact negative things and we need to acknowledge that these negative things happen and make Perhaps make reparations. Perhaps do all this, 
And if you are only looking at America, America, love it or leave it, then I'm sorry. And this sounds really condescending, and I kind of don't care. Um, (laughs) But um, somebody put it best, conservatives tend to love America as a child loves its parents, and progressives tend to love America as parents love their children. Interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting observation. Yeah. And and I I agree. I you know. Well, well I mean, you know, when it when it comes down to, you know, authors or heroes or whatever, it's like if they can acknowledge their past behavior and not show a pattern of continuing that same behavior moving forward, that ability to recognize and change that's one thing if if somebody has clearly shown that they have not changed even though they may do one or two good things that's where you kind of have to get into that sure. hole and, you and know. that's for living ones but, yes but yes. for the dead ones yeah, can't change. yeah right yeah yeah and so then you just have to look at what kind of influence have they had in whatever art form they were working in and acknowledge that and say well the guy's dead we can't change his mind about anything um and and the you know and for instance the thing about Lovecraft is you can you can divorce a lot of his creations from the racism that is still inherent in some of those stories. This is true. Some of that can be as so, other sure. as other writers and creators have done. Right. Know? Although it's so weird too because you can really make an argument that his racism, his bigotry, is actually the root. <laughs> of some of his work because yeah. it's the fear of the unknown and the different. And it, it's the, the one of the best things I ever read was somebody had said that both Kirby and Lovecraft said there is a universe, there is a whole reality out there that is beyond our comprehension and we'll never get all of it. And the difference was Lovecraft was terrified at the thought and Kirby <laughs> thought it was really rad. <laughs> that's that's yeah. a good one. You know, yeah. and, and, and yeah. I think that's a real good breakdown of the yeah, it kinda of, is. The, of the approach, you know. Wow. You, you look at that incomprehensibility and what does it do to you? What how does it make you feel? And it's really cool because when you look you could sit there and be boggled by it. Just think about the size of the universe, the size of all reality, you know, billions and, and, and billions and billions and billions. Oh, yeah. Billions. You know, septillions and quadrillions and you know everything. It just it could really just sort of blow your blow your mind. I had one friend who actually went into an existential crisis in college because he learned that, you know, millions or billions of years from now, the sun is going to go into a red giant phase and eliminate the planet. <laughs> yeah. And he was totally like, what's the point? Why, why, why bother? And it's like, what the, you know what? What the, f- he's what? A, he was, he's a forward thinking individual. I, yeah, really? I mean, you know, and it was, it was just so funny because it's just like, why did, so you could look at that and you, there is an element of, oh, fuck. Sure. But then when you think about Kirby, who was like, wow. What is out there? We have no clue. That is so cool. That that is actually almost an aspirational or inspirational take mm-hmm. on things. Well, that's get you excited about about the unknown. Yeah, that tends to be the the difference between the explorer and the 
I don't know if you want to call it the defender, you know, the defender fears everything. No, the, so they the, want the to defenders establish. didn't really go into the cosmos all that much. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a World War II kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> the explorer is intrigued by what's out there and wants to go find out sure. what it is versus the, you know, I want to stay home and protect what I have because I'm afraid of everything. So, or, yeah. you know, or, well, where does the conqueror yeah. fit in all that, Jeff? Because mm-hmm. they're the ones, they go out. But they end up destroying things. Yeah, the dragon will tell you that. You know, the conqueror <laughs> wants to go out and discover things that they can take versus I want to go out and discover Just, things. I wonder if Greenland's still for sale. To see what's new. <laughs> yeah. To see what diversity is out there and then embrace mm-hmm. that diversity. I don't know. I just, I guess. I guess. Celebrate I it what, versus what, what were we conquer about? it. <laughs> but anyway, well, yeah. Hugo Awards. Yeah, Hugo Awards. So anyway. Uh, let's let's bring up a happier subject. Wilfred Brimley has died at the age of eighty-five. Oh <laughs> shit! Wrong wrong story. Uh, his role as the paranoid biologist Dr. Blair in the nineteen eighty-two remake of The Thing is legendary, as was his performance in Cocoon three years later. Mm. That year, he also starred in the made-for-TV Star Wars movie Ewoks: The Battle for Endor. Yep. The oft-forgotten film was based on a story by George Lucas and received three Emmy nominations. So take that, fucking Mandalorian. But he'll always be known for the diabetes commercial. Uh, <laughs> and he was also at Remo Williams. Uh, yep, he, he sure was. He broke into the entertainment business by fitting horses with shoes for Western-themed TV shows and film. Uh, yeah, uh, Wilford Brimley, the character actor of all character actors. Yeah. yeah. The, the positively one of the greatest comforting old man presences yes. you you want a character who is like he comes into the room and everybody relaxes you know that's uh it's kind of like biggs um, yeah yeah i try you know and then and then and then biggs friends follow into the room with their crackpot ideas and their crazy politics uh. and although he he really strayed from that that characterization in the firm like he became that uh, that was yeah. so cool it was cool I, but creepy as fuck well, yes but that was the thing it i was know like, it was the intention you're, you're watching this and you're like oh wow wilmford brimley and and, like, and, and slowly over time you're like he's he's a fucker <laughs> holy was, shit i mean it yeah it was so weird to see him in this you know I mean, for lack of a bird, better word, just downright evil character. And that was he and, literally did not give a shit and it about was, anything oh, else except yeah. for what his mission was. And it was so it was it was what a juxtaposition, mm-hmm. right? Especially after he had established, you could call it his brand. Yes, going yeah. into that movie, that's just that's just the, yeah, and it plays into the whole paranoia of the firm. Being yeah. so different from what it appeared, and like Cruz's line yeah. about you know why he became a tax lawyer and all that shit, and then what ends up happening and stuff. It was, it was, it was masterful casting. Yeah. You know his performance, yeah. notwithstanding. Well, he, yeah, he was like, I think what got me about it is that the entire sociopath nature of that character, like he literally had no empathy at all, and was willing to do whatever it took to protect the firm. Didn't matter if it was legal, didn't matter if it was yeah, you know, yeah. violent. He just lit yeah, that's that's what like you're watching his performance and you're just like this is not the Wilford Brimley I know and I know that was the intent with the right, character, right. but it still like mind fucked you. You're just like yeah. this is 
this is not right. Yeah. <laughs> he must have loved acting that part. He oh, probably yeah. enjoyed. Well, that's it. well except for he got his where he got his ass beat. That was. <laughs> no, no, I, mean, I mean, let's face it. That's not the roles he was getting no. for ages. So yeah, to be uh, able to play the the heel in that thing. What was the TV show that he on? He played the grandfather. That yeah. was like the consummate. Nice guy, grandfather character. I, I can't think like, of the name of it. Was well, Shannon it. Doherty was in he it. He walks the battle for Endor. It well, was that like, too. It was like the first thing that Shannon Doherty Yeah, I can't was, think of the name of the series. And I was like, oh, who's this girl? And that was another. She, oh, she's a psychopath. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put her on the list. <laughs> Psycho's not on the list, with the possible exception of Gwyneth Powell. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, he'd have uh, well, there, there goes us getting on the Goop podcast yeah. service. Oh, well, shoot. Sorry about that. My opinions are only my own and do not reflect the opinions of Geek Shock or its uh, affiliates. <laughs> Insert what that wilt into your vagina. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Just wait for merch to open up, folks. The Geek Shock Jade Egg will be coming. And just so you think I wasn't making that as a general thing, I was just shouting that out to Barry. So yeah. I just want to. There you go. <laughs> Director Nia DaCosta, who's been directing the reboot of Candyman, will be helming Captain Marvel 2, making her the first black female to direct a film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. DaCosta will be taking over from previous directors Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. WandaVision writer Megan McDonnell will be writing the script. No details available as of yet beyond reportingly it's being set in the present day. While Captain Marvel 2 has a release date scheduled for 2022, there is no news of when production is slated to begin. Most upcoming MCU movies in the three Marvel set Disney Plus series halted their productions earlier this year. Yeah, I'm I'm all for more diversity because that's one of the the biggest complaints people have had with Marvel is sure. that the you know yeah some of these characters have been around for a long time and they have kind of a set way that they have been portrayed in the past, but. There's always room for diversifying new eyes, new styles. Not I'm just all about in, it. Yeah, yeah, not just in front of, but also behind the camera. So yeah, to get diversity cool. of character and setting, you you really should have diversity of creator. Yeah, I, I don't want to <clears throat> like step on toes, but step. I I really think asking at a certain point asking cis het white male creators to diversify characters and <laughs> setting. You you eventually you hit your saturation point of why why bother, and you really to get your diverse characters and settings you have to get your diverse creators. Yeah. Get your diverse creators. You want more diverse uh, settings and characters and books, then you don't just need cishet writers to write them. You need the writers. You need the editors to hire the writers. You need the publishers to support the editors. And so, too, in filmmaking. I mean, you yeah. know, directors, that isn't even the, where we stop. Yeah. We really need to move into executive producers, Absolutely. which we have, mm -hmm. which we're getting. Sure. More, but we need more of and need more. The big, the big glass ceiling that needs to be busted is the studio heads. Yes. Yeah. But to get all of that diversity, I think, yeah, you need more creators, and that's I'm, that's where the push is. I'm trying to remember the 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 writer that I just saw this recently, but there was a a, a female writer talking about, you know, yes, things are getting better. But the majority of the writing rooms are still yeah. white males 
majority of the room. Well, you know, and, you know, part of that is population problem. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've joked with that with some black friends. I, I forget what the hell he was saying, but he just sarcastically went, oh, white people. And I was like, eh, we're everywhere. And he <laughs> laughed his ass off. He laughed his ass off, but at the same time, it was, you know, true. So it's, it, and, and over time, that is going to change. So, yeah, yeah. we're still everywhere. I mean, but, you know. But the, yeah. the, the writer's rooms, the whole work. And one of the ways you change the writer's rooms is you change the the people who are making the green light decisions on these yes. projects in the first place. You make them more diverse, and then it'll it'll yeah. come. It, it's a long process. and But that's really the direction you got to go. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, there's only so much... I, I, I don't know. I just... I'm kind of disillusioned not just with the cishet male white writers doing diversity but i'm also a little disillusioned with all of the demands being put it's like you know what let i I understand why you're why you're talking to writers and why you're talking to directors but let's change the writers and direct or rather let's uh, diversify the writers and directors let's diversify yeah and the diversification has to come not just from the top down but also from the ground up exactly you still have a lot of film set crews which are predominantly white males right you know and it's not that there aren't people trying to get those jobs right that have you know various well, it, cultural backgrounds well, it's it's so it's just the whole and the it the one of the bigger problems is that the system is rigged for insularity yes. anyway you can almost say almost white and male um is a default simply uh, uh not almost as an accident because it's just white and males and they're just calling in more white and males but i think there are there are exclusionary practices that go on but you need to change yeah you need to change more of that you need to change the hiring practices because like a lot of film sets you don't necessarily apply for and get the job you are hired because you know somebody or or you know somebody who was on an existing crew but some of the but but so much of the industry is built on reputation sure i mean you're now we're entering into the realm of we have to establish objective criterion for these hiring practices which actually can be a tough thing to do right you know but but once again you got to start somewhere right yeah right so the guy who's hiring today 20 years ago was the was the snot-nosed kid with a dream who just came into la and a friend got him in on as a pa yeah so you know you, you you gotta you gotta I, I think you you know you make the point there and that's where talking to the cishet white males yeah. comes into play because the, right now there's just so goddamn many of them they're the ones who who can provide the opportunities for the new blood but ultimately yeah just yeah yeah saying that's how I got my job in Hollywood you're not wrong yeah, yeah. Oh, well that I mean that's why I said it that yeah. way I it you know and hell uh, I ever get my ass out to Hollywood? That's exactly how I do. It. I I know uh, I know quite a few people 
from fucking Trek years at the experience, as well as a few others who are out there working. And I've even joked with them, you know, hey, man, I hope to ride your coattails when I finally get to L.A. And they're <laughs> like, dude, when you get out here, give me a call. So it's there. Yeah, it's there. It's it because it's because a lot of the industry really is. <clears throat> it really is reputation. Yeah, it's just it's I it's funny to me because um, like of the CW shows, if you look at who is on the crew and in the in the writer's room and in the production room of like Black Lightning, it's pretty diverse group of people there um but that's also one show out of yeah, yeah how yeah. many berlanti produced and but, it's but, and it's also black lightning yes right yes and but i think yeah so on the one hand yeah you can you can write it off as well this is just kind of a token gesture on the other hand going back to this thing of new people getting jobs is based on the people that already have the jobs having more crews and stuff made up of people of color is going to help that as well. Right, right. Yeah. Now, I, I now to speak to it, yeah. I don't I don't know how I quite feel about it either cuz like Black Lightning was Black Lightning, right? right. What about it, that level of diversification in The Flash, right. which I think probably right now is the is the uh locus yeah. of superhero TV shows, yeah. right? I think a lot of people who are going to be going making TV shows for superheroes in the future will have gone through the Flash, mm -hmm. either as showrunner as writer. Yeah. So, what about the yeah. diversification of Flash's um, um, writing room as a means of helping to proliferate your diversity? Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, and oh, the absolutely. Flash the Flash started with a cast diversification. Yes, right? which was compared to some of the other shows right. because you 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 cast. Your Iris West Allen as an African American versus, you know, historically uh -huh. a, you know, right. young white female. So I thought that was a good step and it's a good start. Well, the, the, the whole incorporating of the Allen right. family, yes. I thought was yes. Like, for a while there, I was sort of like, what in the hell are they doing? But as I'm watch looking at more and more of it, I'm like, I, I, okay, actually, this is, this is working out yeah. well. As, as opposed to, say, my old bitch fest when I was really railing on the choices uh, in Trank's Fantastic Four, <laughs> which I recently learned Trank actually wanted Sue Storm to be black. Yeah. She, he wanted the Storms to be a the biologically studio. black. And, yeah. and somebody had a hard-on for... Uh, Kate Mara, Kate Mara, and <laughs> yes. and, and that that all that all was forced on him. And no offense to her, because she is a fine actress. But in what I have seen of the film, I haven't been able to finish the film. Right, <laughs> it's just it's that bad. But she does not appear in the film like she wants to be there. I at least at least at least in what Trank, I have seen of it so far. Trank made it clear from the start he wasn't happy with her. So and maybe that's so, why. So he didn't handle So, yeah, you, you really can't definitely. Well, also. You cannot judge that woman. Right. And her ability based on sure. that movie. Sure. And yeah. she, let's face it, she plays disaffected woman very well anyway. Yeah. So, you know, but I, it was sort of like, oh, God damn it. When I read that, I was even more fucking pissed because it was like, yes, yeah. Johnny and Sue Black. That, you know, it. Yeah. you want to talk about the Fantastic Four as America's first family. Yeah. Um, we're no longer the 60s, the early 60s coming out of the 50s where you get all white people and boom. 
Right. And and then Kirby gently, quietly sliding Jewish Ben Grimm underneath the radar. <laughs> you know, you 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 Sue make Sue and and Johnny black, you mm -hmm. know, uh, take that step. And it was. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to get off on that again. Sure. Do you yeah. really want all those YouTube uh, responses? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's also that because I listened. I listened in on some of the some of my railings, and I I really, I really, I really went off the rails on my my criticism of that choice to the to the point that I don't even know how well it's aged. <laughs> I, well, I don't know if it's humbling for Trank to make these admissions or if it's just him trying to explain away have a lot. Have it's no, really hard to tell. He's going through a process over yeah. the years of changing sure. and transforming. So, you know, who knows where he is now? It's, it's, I feel, I actually, and I mean, the more and more I hear about it, the more and more I feel sorry for the guy. Well, I mean, he actually had, that whole production was just a exactly, nightmare from beginning and, to end. And even though it wouldn't fit what I think would work for the Fantastic Four, I think he had some interesting ideas. Playing up the body horror. Yeah. Yeah. Sue and Johnny Black. You know, there, I think there was a whole raft, there was a whole realm of stuff there that actually could have been, I, I don't know, maybe you could have Incredibles. It, yeah, yeah. Right. Do your version of the Fantastic Four that has all these elements that just go off the fucking edge, but you know. Well, and I mean, it, yeah. And at the end of the day, the whole reason for the movie even existing was <laughs> for Fox to keep that license. <laughs> That's true. Which, yeah. just like Corman, yeah, it's ironically completely a moot point now that Fox is now a part of Disney. So, yeah. yeah. So we'll see who the next Fantastic yeah. Four is going to be. That that would be interesting. I would love to see them do your route, do a much more diverse family casting. It would be very cool if they actually preserved Trank's vision yeah. and made Sue and Johnny other than, or, or I don't know, fucking make Reed. Yeah. If it go balls out, honor Kirby by making Ben Jewish-American. Make Ben your low-class fought his way up through the slums of New York, Jewish American. And then and then, you know, go diverse from there. Yeah. Maybe Reed is is not white. Or maybe Sue and Johnny, you go the route like you did with uh Shazam, where it's you know, it's a diverse adopted family. They were they were orphans or something like that that were you there's a maybe. lot of things you could do that make that a diverse family. You sure. could not necessarily have them both one of know, the one ethnicity. You could have multiple one of the arguments I had uh I had actually made way back when is I noticed this at Ka, the sheer number of blended families because yes. of remarriage. Yes. Yeah. Black man with his kids, white woman with her kids, yeah. and they were all one family. We had tons of those people coming through the gates going to see Ka. What and, do you mean you know, by those people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, tons of, of that kind of family, blended families coming through. And, it, uh, you know, it's not even just a matter of simple adoption. Um, but, uh, you know, it... I think that uh, you could actually, you could actually, and that's definitely one aspect of the American family that the the blended family where previous families are getting melded together. So you're saying movies should re reflect more about real life than the idealized notions of the producers and writers. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know well, to, to speak to our diversification thing, right? right? It's it's sort of like it make I uh, art. 
always comments on the time at hand, the zeitgeist. Yeah. It doesn't matter how far in the future or how far in the, you know, Spartacus yeah. um, uh, might, might tell you a few things about Roman history, but ultimately it's, it's more commentary on class struggle yeah. and, and uh, what's going on with humanity in the early 60s than it is, you know, anything else, right? You know, and uh, Star Trek is telling you, I mean, original series is telling you a hell of a lot about America and, and Earth in the mid to late 60s. Yes. So, and TNG was a late 80s thing, if it was anything, you know, going into the 90s. So, it you, you, you're always talking about your time, which is what you want to be doing yeah. anyway. You don't want to be talking to people 200 years from now because the only way you're going to make it to 200 years from now is to talk to the dumb fucks today. Right. You want to make it a mirror on reality. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, the, uh, well, and that's a good point because the thing, the thing that a lot of you know, modern audiences don't realize about, for instance, Shakespeare is there was a lot of social commentary going on in his plays about late 1500s, early 1600s England. Hamlet being a prime example. Hamlet was a cautionary tale because Elizabeth was getting death threats her entire reign. And he was like, here's the problem with seeking revenge, with regicide for the only reason is that you don't like the king. Your whole country is laid waste. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, you know, if you look at, if you look at, the historical context of those plays and then just the fact that they were written so well still speaks to what's happening in 2020 that's exactly why if you insert enough con complexity into what yeah. you're doing then in the future people are still going to find relevance in it because that complexity is going to touch on something that involves them in the far-flung future yeah. you can definitely make your mono vision uh you're ham-fisted this is what i'm addressing right now bam yeah. and 200 years and nobody's going to understand what the hell you're talking about but if you get complex about it then you're going to establish a kind of relevance that'll go on forever yeah well it's like the crucible the crucible was written in specifically to address the house on american activities committee mm -hmm. but there's so much that's so such a layered play that all you all that what it's really addressing is how People can use fear and intimidation and blah 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 to achieve their own, you know, goals and needs at the expense of completely innocent people in in the society. Unlike right. today, right, right, <clears throat> right. Rimshot and the Malleus Maleficarum that was used to hunt witches and. What, they, never mind that. That didn't go <laughs> what's, what's the saying? Oh the more things Damn change, it. the more they stay the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Necronomicon yeah. when they uh, <laughs> when the Portuguese were working the docks. So Marvel. Yeah. What's your gadfly? Write to us. Comments at uglycopshow.com. <laughs> your Josh gadfly? <laughs> oh my Josh! I honestly thought the Captain Marvel director thing. We'd spend like two minutes on it. I think we did twenty and. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. <laughs> Commander K. And Professor Biggs. And we will talk to you next week in Geek. Wow. Good to have you back, Bigsy. <laughs> so so how many pages did we have left? A uh, lot. Like, like 13? Uh, I, I, I would say five. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, we got through more than half. Right. I was aiming for eight. We got... 
three. <laughs> but that's all right. And the number shall be three. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Yeah. You know, hey, but we solved a lot of problems. We did. That's right. That's what That's we right. do. And we asked a lot of questions. So. <laughs> oh, oh Lots of questions, damn few answers. Oh, man. <laughs> so be sure to uh, go to your movie theaters eventually, and uh, uh, especially the Paramount-owned ones. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man. man, the last whoa <laughs> in the stereo. Last, the last movie I saw in the uh, theaters uh, was the 1933 King Kong. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, god damn yeah. it! It was, uh, and then yeah, the theater shut down like right after that. I was like, oh. wow, it was it's the shut Turner down Classic. because of an eight problem. Yeah, it was Turner Classic <laughs> Movies screening, and nice. And again, it was pretty socially distanced when I got there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Nobody's wanting to watch Kink. I know. It's shameful. I, I I did see that at the student union at Northwestern. Boy, oh boy, those 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 student oh, film God. things could be That's you, that's where I saw Starship Troopers was at our student union oh, theater. Man, yeah. And wow, talk about like it's so funny. They like they had remodeled the entire student union, modernized it, and this is like the you know late nineties, early two thousands. The only part that they never touched was the theater. So the theater seats were those old like sixties, seventies the theater seats that um, that had the narrow spacing between the rows yeah. and and the the movie screen you also could see that you could raise it up and it had the stage and it had the <laughs> curtains that came in front of it that looked like those curtains were about 50 years old oh, yeah, yeah. it's just so yeah. funny the la county museum of art will do like classic movie screenings and stuff and the screen itself and the projector and the sound all great but it's those I think because they're trying to preserve the look of the theater, the seats are like from the 40s. And mm -hmm. yeah, if you're 6'4, oh, yeah. the spacing between oh, yeah. those rows. And you, like, you oh. must be really popular with the people behind you. Yeah. El Capitan's oh, yeah. that way too. Because, you know, I was in the balcony at the El Capitan for Avengers Infinity War, and I'm like, this is really cool that they've, you know, preserved this, everything so well. I went, sat down in the seat, and I'm like, Oh my, because just sitting down, <laughs> I had to have my knees yeah. bent, um. and they were elevated, so my feet weren't touching the floor. I eventually had to sit sideways mm -hmm. for the whole movie. Yeah, but and then you have the cat experience, and you have yeah. Commander K on one side and Andy on yeah. the other getting there fuzzy. You go. <laughs> and not to mention, there having to do that, Infinity War was, what, three and a half hours? Mm. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. Three Your hours. ass is asleep after that one. <laughs> yeah. It really was a war. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the wood backs and hardly oh, yeah. padding on backs, the seats. Oh my yes. god! You're, you're describing these these somewhat fantastic theater things for your colleges. Mine was a, a shitty auditorium, all flat, all metal chairs that we had to pull out and the audio was from the projector itself, well, echoing well. in the room that you can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But wow. is, is well, University see, of Evansville a real university? <laughs> <laughs> This is a fine point. I, I, I is it though? I don't, I don't think Godbold would uh, argue with you on that. Oh my God. Probably not. <laughs> die, 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 everybody die. 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 Die, 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 everybody die.